0: We're always gonna wish that, wish that we could
1: come back to right now. Well, hey everybody. Welcome to the first A Band Called Punchline reaction episode of the podcast with the current lineup of Punchline. Yes, a couple of the guys are here have been in Punchline for actually the longest run. This is the longest run of a lineup that we've had. That seems crazy. But uh, first of all, I want to say hi to Steve, who was all over the first episode with me. How's it going, Steve? Hello, Chris. It's good to be here. Good to be on the show. People know you and I have been there since 1997, since the beginning, and I'm sure you and I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm kind of even a little more interested in our bandmates who weren't really in this episode By not really, I mean not at all (laughs) in this first episode, but hearing what they think about it. So first of all, I want to say hi to our drummer, Corey. How's it going, man?
2: Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm good. I'm just hanging out on this, this fine Sunday we're recording. So did you learn anything in that first episode? You know what? I I wouldn't say I learned anything because a lot of these stories, uh, we talk about this stuff, and I've been in the band for, I think, like 11 years now, so I kind of feel like a lot of this stuff I've heard before, just us talking in the van on tour or whatever, but I think hearing it all in a timeline together, because I've heard all the stories kind of picked out, I love it. I can't wait
1: till you come into the picture a little bit.
2: I know. I I want there to be the suspense. uh, No one knows when I do come into the picture, but when I do, oh boy, be ready. Yeah. Corey, in 1997
1: through 1999, when that first episode takes place, how old were you and what were you doing?
2: Uh, So in 97, I would have been uh, 10 years old. I was born in in 87, September 3rd, 87 at uh, Forbes Regional Hospital, and I weighed 10 pounds yeah, so Ten I guess pounds. I was 10 pounds. I was I was big. Wow. <laughs> that is big. Big baby. Big boy. But I mean, I was probably just playing with my friends, probably uh, playing soccer. I don't think I was really into punk rock or, or that stuff. I mean, I didn't start playing drums until eighth grade, so I definitely wasn't playing music, although I did take piano lessons.
1: You weren't aware of punchlight at all yet in this first episode?
2: No, not at all.
1: Trev, who is... The punchline guitarist now how's it going trev
3: hey dudes what's going on i love the pod it's so good this is great
1: were you aware of punchline in the years 1997 through 1999
3: uh i wasn't no because so oh 97 that was probably like eighth or ninth grade for me but i did re- my my band at the time we were called blind to society we released our very first uh tape in 97 <laughs> and a hilarious thing which i think ties into w- where you guys were at was the big pants phase and in, oh, yeah. inside the cover of our tape we had a picture of of each of us it was myself my buddy greg and my buddy mike and mike was wearing these humongous jinko jeans in the photo and so the caption was like my caption was like bad hair which hasn't changed much mike's caption was big pants but somebody wrote it wrong and wrote big paints, and and so we just to this day <laughs> thought that was hilarious. But nice. can totally relate to like where you guys are at at this time because I was right there, you know, in in the basement of my parents' house, making music with my buddies, you know, recording onto a boombox. And actually, we did go to our first studio to make uh, our our tape. Our buddy uh, Jesse Coane recorded our first tape in '97. So
0: I have to say, Trev, our friend John. We met in John's basement. He told me this morning that after listening to our podcast, he had a dream that he was wearing Jinko jeans.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah, it brings you right back to to the late 90s of huge Jinkos.
1: Trev, you brought up the fact that you thought that we were too hard on ourselves on this podcast, that we we put ourselves down too much.
3: Yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, I think that like, from from a fan persp- from a from a band member and musician perspective, I can get it. Like you know, it's like, oh, I'm looking back on my earliest stuff. This is garbage, you know. But from a fan perspective, it's like, hey, I loved those songs. I still love those songs. Stop talking shit about your line that I think is amazing and still do to this day, you know. So, um, I, I I see both sides. But um, I was a fan first, you know, for for a long time. Before joining the band, so just like a lot of our listeners, I'm sure feel protective about these songs, right? Um But you know, I just wanted to say that because I, I was kind of thinking about the same thing talking with my wife. Like, what did what did I learn about the band that I didn't know? And I'm not sure if it was something I, I learned, but one of the things I was reminded about that I have always seen in you guys from the first time I ever met you was your work ethic and just how committed you always have been how all in you guys are you know just like i mean to this day it's the same thing and i've always admired that and right from the beginning you kind of see that just like you guys hustling you know getting getting the community together i also think it's amazing to think back to high school and how much like that built a demographic for our bands you know just being in high school and like organizing your friends so um that and and just like the support of family, it's just so relatable. I mean, anybody that loved music and like either had a friend in a band or played in a band in high school can just relate to this so much, which I think is really cool that it doesn't even have to be that you know the band, you know?
1: That's an important thing to note is that We've been very lucky with friends and family and just people that liked our music. If it wasn't for that reinforcement of like, I mean, especially at the beginning when, <laughs> you know, I, I don't mean to like talk down on ourselves so much, but like the, fir- the early punchline music was really bad <laughs> for, for people to like look past that and maybe see us having fun or I don't know, maybe latched onto a lyric or a melody along the way. It's not bad. Bad. It's
0: not completely good. I would say like the songs are (laughs) the songs are there. There, I mean, there's definitely a couple really bad ones. I will say that. But I feel like from the beginning that the songs were there, but maybe the lyrics weren't quite dialed in. But like the song concepts, you know, to me in the early days, a lot of them just as strong as they were later on. Eh, I don't know.
2: my surprise, I'm lying. I I still wanna be the one you dream about. my We're lying and screaming, "I should've been the one to care." You should've been the one that cared. I guess we played wrong. I simply gotta admit that it
3: still,
2: it still hurts. No. I think that uh, what's unique about punchline and bands that kind of have been around for like as long as as we have is that nowadays, you know, kids are starting bands or even like uh, adults starting bands like their first music is in this this world where recording and stuff is a different a totally different thing. Right. So for us to be able to be like our first, you know, music was that that bad sounding and stuff, like that's kind of a cool thing because what it means is that our first music was twenty five years ago, you know. Right, 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 yeah. Because it's kind of it's like hard to make recordings sound that bad. Today. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, Corey. <laughs> yeah. It's like people want to make stuff sound that bad. It's like ah, oh, that's gonna be tough. <laughs> How'd they do that? <laughs> yeah, I wish they
3: gave Grammys for most progress. <laughs> well, you know, I, it just made me think. It's like you know, you're you're a little kid and you're like you look back and you're like, geez, I was so small back then. It's like you're a little kid, you know, and then you grow up. So it's kind of a similar thing. And, um, you know, one thing I did think was really cool to see from the the beginning is that you guys were writing about you're, you're writing songs about like what you knew, what your world was, you know, and I think that's such an important part of connecting with people through your songs. And I mean, that's why you guys took a hold in people, no doubt, right from the beginning, you know, because they're like. Oh yeah, like I I can relate to this, you know? Like I know that girl they're singing about or whatever or I know this <laughs> this scenario. Um so I I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's just it's it's neat to see that evolution. And like sure, you can look back and be like, "Ooh, that's that's a little r- rough around the edges." I will say that it gets better as we go along after after this one. So as you go, stop shitting on yourself so much. <laughs> but but it's cool. It's it's history, you know? It's it's the growth. You're, you're really like looking back at the band growing up, you know? True. It's a good point. Steve, you said you had
1: marked some things down that maybe we didn't touch on in that first episode or maybe needed expanded upon. I'm interested in what some of these things are because like I've brought up to you and many of our friends, the whole 25 years of punchline is such a blur to me. It's impressive when I talk to one of you guys and you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That was from October of 2002 when we were on this tour. And I'm like, how do you remember that? But right. you're pretty good at that.
2: Well, so everyone knows. I just want everyone to know that every band, I think, has it, an archiver. And uh, Steve in our band is is definitely that guy.
0: Oh, shucks. Thanks. Yeah, he's
2: always sending like <laughs> Dropbox folders that have things that like we just assumed were gone for forever. But somehow Steve <laughs> had them. Can't let them files go. That's yeah. right.
0: I had a couple things written down. Number one. The t shirts that you saw me wearing, that you're like, sometimes he wears cool shirts. But then sometimes they're not. <laughs> I was definitely buying everything on the Spencer's Gifts three dollar band T shirt rack. Right. So I feel like in the beginning I was really going for quantity of band shirts over quality. <laughs> and I feel like my freshman year I was like, all right, I got nine band shirts going into going into this year or something like that. So yes, that's why I had a fish T shirt. And
3: they're all on sale at the uh, Punchline Posh Market. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well you know what it's just real quick about the t-shirts i did write that down that like it, it was an era where you i mean steve you were probably like oh i want a band shirt but you were probably also like this artwork is cool i want to wear that you know right. and, and it's just such a neat time capsule of remembering back when not only were we judging each other but i like oh he's he's got this punk band shirt on i i might want to be friends with him but it's like remember the era of like you could only guess what a band sounded like by looking at the cover, you know? It, it right. wasn't like, oh, I'll just look them up on YouTube and, and see before I buy this CD, you know? like, And it was just a neat time of where the art was so indicative of, like, what does this represent or who is this person or what is this band or, or whatever, you know?
2: It's funny you say that, Trev, because a big part of my journey into, like, punk and, and ska and all these things really came down to uh a buddy of all of ours, John Garrigan, lived in my, you know, my school district and was friends with my older sister and he would come hang out at my house and he was super punk. He had, you know, Liberty spikes and patches all over his vest and stuff. And like his patches and that stuff, that's how I found a lot of these punk like rancid, you know, and all these bands. Like I was like, oh well they're they're probably sick because this punk dude like has patches on his on his vest here. So then I would right. somehow get their music.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. It was just such a interesting way to discover bands, you know? Just yeah, from a patch, you know? Like man, I remember patches so much. <laughs> I put patches all over my school bag back in like
2: 8th grade, you know. Yep. Pins and patches.
3: I met
0: Tall Dave like the first day of college and 100%, he was wearing a an AFI hoodie and I was wearing like a Suicide Machines hoodie and everybody else was wearing like button up shirts and that's (laughs) one thousand percent why we met and like of course
3: dude goes on to become
0: like my best friend in college
3: which i want to point out that years before this tall dave and i grew up in bucks county pennsylvania together and worked at Gennardi's, which was the supermarket (laughs) for years and we would go on to all be in the same circle a matter of years later but i think that's pretty awesome that you you started being friends with him day one of college and I was, like, working with him at the grocery store, you know, like, five years before. <laughs> Trev, there's, like, there's seven ways that we could have met you. I know. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get into all that in the
3: future yeah. episodes.
1: A friend of ours, Tony, commented to me about this first episode, which is another thing I want to talk about is, like, what people have said to you about the podcast. But he said something along the lines of, like, you guys talk about t-shirts so much. But <laughs> at that time, I remember it just, you, Steve, you alluded to this. I was scared that I was going to be somewhere and someone wouldn't know that I was like into punk rock music <laughs> or something. That was and, and now I'm secure enough in myself as a person, but that was just like my defining quality was that like I was into punk rock music and that would be scary to me to like go somewhere and someone not know that about me. And uh, yeah, so I was kind of the same way. There was a store in Century 3 Mall, which is now a closed-down mall by us, but it was called Beer (laughs) Tees. And Beer (laughs) Tees had lots of, like, punk rock band and alternative band t-shirts. And that was kind of the same way. If If there was a shirt on sale... If it was a band that I even remotely liked, I remember having an L7 t-shirt. <laughs> like, I didn't own an L7 album, but I had their t-shirt. It was like the ugliest t-shirt you ever see in your life. I think the back of it said, Hungry for Stink. <laughs> it said <laughs> real big on the back of it. it. Like, just any like ugly-ass Vandals t-shirt. I mean, I like the Vandals, but the t-shirts would have like a guy puking on the front of it or something, right. and I would buy it. That's Cause it funny. was just a defining quality and, and yeah, Trev, there were like older, cooler punk kids in school and I would see their t-shirts there were and be like, Oh, I'm going to check that band out.
3: Yeah. It was such an, I, it, it was identity, you know, like, I mean, it still is from our yeah.
2: clothes. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we're all kind of sp- pretty still into t-shirts big time. True. yeah
1: but <laughs> i'm not as i'm not as i'm not as stressed out if i go somewhere and i'm not wearing a
0: <laughs> an operation ivy t-shirt we have more ways to express ourselves now that's right that yeah true. right yeah Hey, something else that was on my list is how much we talk about skanking in the first episode (laughs) without maybe ever explaining what skanking is to somebody who's never heard that term before. That's a good call.
1: A simple YouTube search will reveal several videos of how to skank. Some of my favorite YouTubes ever, how to skank videos. But for anyone who wasn't familiar with that, it is a type of dancing that's sort of like a running man. Uh, that you do to the upstrokes of ska music.
2: It's a very important dance to me because I actually skank into every new year for the past like <laughs> eight, eight years. At, at midnight, you can find me skanking.
3: Hey, you know what's funny about that era? So, okay, we're talking 97 like, you guys are on one side of Pennsylvania playing ska music. I'm on the other side of Pennsylvania playing ska music. Like, what? Like, I guess Real Big Fish was blowing up then, right? Less and Jake was definitely on the scene. No NoFX was doing ska at that point, right? I mean, like, why were we all playing so much ska? <laughs> I think if it had been years earlier, you know, we could have
0: just been in, like, misfits-type bands, and it just revolves around, like, the the underground movement at the moment. That's that's what I think. That ska was just a happenstance.
2: Yeah, I think ska too back then. And for young kids, um, this is just a theory. It was easy for every all your friends to to be able to be in the band. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> yeah true. everyone had a big friend group, <laughs> and so ska made sense. Yeah, you know, and it's there was
3: something like rebellious about it, you know, or like it felt rebellious, like in a punk rock sense, but it also felt like so fun. You know what I mean? It was like a kind of cool converging of punk rock, but we can dance and not, you know, punch each other in the face or whatever, you know? Right.
1: No, 97 was the peak. That was the year that the Warped Tour was like oh, six or seven different scub so bands were on it. And I've talked about this. We didn't get into it too much in the episode, but I'm really thankful that Scott was popular because... As compared to some of those like three chord punk bands, now some bands did it good and some bands did it completely mediocre, but we could easily been like that, but I think that pushed us to like want to play more intricate things on bass. The bass lines were a lot cooler in, in ska songs than just like a regular punk song. Yeah, also there was something that it was uplifting and fun and it it was different. It was especially like think about the 90s, the mid 90s and all the grunge, you know, like I I like some grunge, but at a a certain point it was grunge overload when you had like the third generation of grunge band who was emulating another grunge band who was emulating another grunge band. And just it was a complete antithesis to that dark sound that you heard on the radio so much. So I think that was a big uh, part of why I loved it,
3: too. That's a good point. Yeah, good call.
1: Another thing I had written down was the name
0: punchline. The, there's not really a too much of a story with it. I I started writing it in my notebooks like before it was before we had the band, and it was kind of just like a pretend band name before actually having a band. And I would always write it in kind of this. It almost looked like a like Game of Thrones <laughs> type way. Nice. And I remember <laughs> I remember looking back at all my angsty lyric writing and poem writing notebooks and there was a the one of the first traces of punchline was from these words that said life is a joke death is the punchline oh yeah
3: damn yeah
1: Yeah. which which steve steve that was the lyric of being steve played in a band that had like three practices and and one show in our friend's driveway that was called mh 33, which then we changed to image 33. But the MH was for a football player from the Steelers named Merrill Hodge. So MH 33, (laughs) I don't know, like, did we think maybe we thought that name was funny or something. And we had a song called I Can't Hear You. And one of the first lines was, was it PJ? I think it was PJ, like, <laughs> rapping it, like, life is a joke, death is the punchline. Like we, I think we were trying to be like a band we talked about a lot in this episode, our friends in Logic. We were trying to be like a right. hardcore band. That's where I always thought punchline did come from, Steve, that line. Nice. Life nice. is a joke, death is the punchline. <laughs> That's so badass. That's a- <laughs> it's so metal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't there a documentary, a band called Death, and we're a, a band called Punchline? Oh, that's true. Good call. Okay, next thing. Learning Green Day Dookie in 15 minutes. Allow me to explain, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I didn't who's, buy that who's one. was like, I keep hearing like, how could you learn it in 15 minutes? The album's 30 minutes long. I mean, part of the point is that I realized like, wait, these songs are kind of easy. I can hear the chord changes so you could figure out the songs faster than real time because the songs had repeating repeating parts. But it was just really eye-opening to be able to realize, wow, I can hear I can hear these chord changes kind of.
1: In fairness, that was in reaction to. We really think these episodes out a lot and that was in reaction to playing the episode for friends before we released it and everyone <laughs> commenting to me like Steve said he could play that in 15 minutes. And then finally we're just like, okay, okay. I'll just put a reaction line in there, like kind of making fun of Steve, but I I get it. I get what you're getting at.
3: That's funny. Well, I think, I think that was a cool thing to point out just because I remember that same kind of time period of just like being so hungry to figure out songs like sublime, sublime for me was that like, I put that thing on. I'm like, I got to figure out what he's playing, you know, and just, just wanting so badly to dig in to these bands and their songs. And like, learn the chords you know
2: for me like that's how I learned to play drums um like I said when I was super young I I had introduction to music and music theory with piano lessons uh but when I started playing drums um to this day I've never taken a drum lesson and the way I learned was just putting on headphones and figuring out what was going on in the music I liked and uh still do that to to today that's rad and you know that
3: that's another good point because I I grew up piano lessons you know for years or whatever right and like I could play and it was it was okay but not until I started playing guitar did everything just kind of make sense to me you know and like I I did guitar lessons but it it was that same kind of thing it's like no I just want to listen to a band that I love and just sit there with the guitar and like connect the dots kind of you know and it's it's cool to to think about how just a, a different instrument can bring you to a whole nother level of Appreciating or digging into music and songs, you know, yeah, for sure, next thing about the Ataris, I was listening back
0: to it, and i I don't know if we can if we conveyed this, so I wanted to to say something else about it, was just that it was like it wasn't like just the thing that was said to Chris, but it just an overall like disrespectful vibe of like we don't need to treat these kids like. Where we can treat these kids, however, who set up this show because like we're big and bad or something something like something like that. And
1: that's all, that's all I wanted to say about that. I would note that everybody has a bad day. Every band might be like totally. oh God, like
0: Yeah. I'm sure I've been that guy
1: hundreds of times. But maybe <laughs> we, not to that degree. We I act hope. like we're like so nice, but I guess we've we've had our, our moments. Absolutely. But for the most part, I do think We've always made an effort and not every show. I'm not going to pretend like it's every show, but especially like these early years, we started traveling a little bit, like watching the other bands, going up and introducing yourself, telling them nice set. You know, how many times have you said, good set, man? You know, it's just whether whether how sincere you are in it, it's just kind of like a nice thing. It's kind of like a nice thing to do. You know, and right. I would always remember Steve, and I'm sure you do, and I'm sure Corey and Trev do too, in their respective bands. If you were opening for a bigger band, and that band even took the time to like be standing <laughs> side stage for a song or two, and then talk to you about it, like they made a fan for life out of you if True. they did that. Absolutely. That was the coolest thing that should be part of like the journal of how to be a successful band it's like watch the other bands tell them good set right. <laughs> you know like and maybe maybe sometimes you really did and maybe sometimes you just thought they were all right but still that's going to mean a lot that you you took the time to check them out totally yeah for yeah. sure
2: i think like when you like your first couple experiences of like of you being that opening band and and seeing that happen and like how much how much that means to you is when you kind of, it sticks in your head and uh, you want to be that band that's watching a band side stage and and being those cool dudes, you know? So I try to keep that in mind for sure.
3: Yeah. And and like you said, I mean, that, that stuff goes such a long way. People remember that for years and years. I mean, look, look, you remember that experience, <laughs> right? And and every every yeah. band or every person who was at a punchline show and saw you guys out there watching them, they remember that. I mean, it's uh, that was something I wrote down just that like from the beginning you guys had this whether it was spoken or not, this kind of ethos of like, "Hey, let's let's be good to other people. Let's help them. They're going to help us in return and we'll all build community." I mean, that's what like being in a band and being in the music scene really is about, you know, a, a big part of it. Right. So I, I thought that was cool and and I've always seen that in you guys and uh it was it was certainly something to admire and and I'm glad that you know, being in the band that's that's how I want to operate. So I mean, we're all we're all still in line with that, which makes me happy, you know. Um and it's important. Be cool and work hard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: It's funny though, I did note that you know there's probably been thousands of nice things said to us but that those one or two bad experiences <laughs> you will always remember them and it's probably unfair of me to hold a grudge against that band but i'm sure if we had, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> if we had
0: run into them that it could have been easily like washed over yeah. not that we're really holding that much of a grudge but it's just a, a memorable part of us when
3: we're telling telling the, telling the story I think the lesson is: do not get on Chris Fafalis' bad side. Okay,
1: <laughs> it's just mean, just mean to me. <laughs> I was just such—I was like a you know dorky dude in a band wearing shorts. You know, like I—I I don't know. You didn't have to be mean to me. Wait, hey, this
0: was this was since this was from this era. Let's tell this story
1: real quick. Do you remember your meeting Matt Pryor story from the Get Up Kids? Oh yeah, I do, and that was. Someone reminded me the other day of this, and I'm like, oh god, like I like cringed so hard. I'm like, this, this wasn't a bad it. thing necessarily. <laughs> okay, tell me, tell me. It's very, it's very short. Set it but up. Where was I it?
0: think we were at Club Laga? This was probably 1999, just before Paul joined. I think it was October of of 99, and we played with the Get Up Kids at the Drive-In and Ultimate Fake Book. Chris went up to Matt Pryor and introduced himself and asked, "You know, are you guys playing a newfound interest in Massachusetts?" Which was like their slower oh, song. Love that. But song. we like we loved that song. That was the song that was the portal into the Get Up Kids for us. Uh, Chris asked him, "Like, hey, are you guys playing a newfound interest in Massachusetts?" And I think he said, "No, no, not tonight." And and Chris, trying to be, I don't know, funny or something, responded,
1: "Fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I think that's that, awesome. That's sick. Steve, keep in mind at this time, which we didn't really touch on this too much at, at all, really, but we messed with people a lot at this time. Like that was our thing was to like. Oh, let's mess with sure. mess with them. But like not like a mean way, more like, you know, we thought it was funny to mess with people. And that's kind of like what we were doing. But I think his reaction was kind of like, <laughs> no, fuck you. <laughs> I, I remember like being like, oh God, I didn't mean to. I hope he didn't think. And then later years later they took us on tour. So I think it was fine. But yeah, that is a funny memory that I wouldn't have remembered.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. Wow. That's so funny.
1: Um and the
0: last thing that I had was I feel like our story is the story that is, you just don't know what to do when you're a young band. In our time, I mean, I imagine you still don't know what to do. But nobody knows. And so you're just trying stuff and figuring it out and wearing big pants until you figure out that maybe wearing big pants isn't what you should do. But I think that, that I think that that's that's neat. That's our whole story is like, just always trying to figure out what's what's next and how to freaking do this.
3: I mean, you never knew if you're going to have to hide something up the pant leg, you know? Yeah. Uh, Steve,
1: you've touched on this, but we've, we had no guidance. We just cut, were kind of like, yo, we're going to do this. And we just, every step of the way, we just figured it out. Even up to like when we were in the studio for the first time, like the the studio we went to, like that engineer, he didn't really give us any guidance, I don't think. Maybe he introduced us to what a metronome was or something. But like, yeah, we just every step of the way had no, (laughs) nothing but just figuring it out as we went.
3: Right, right. Wow, we did it. Probably was a was a blessing after all because I mean, you guys, yeah, you, you tried a lot of interesting things away like, you know, different ways to get people engaged and get people on board that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have if if somebody was like, "Oh, you you got to do it this way," you know? Right. Showing up is not all of the work, but it's a good a good part of it. Yeah.
1: Since day 1 and Steve, I think you may have said this too, but we were set up for the diy revolution of music or anything because from the start not only were we the guys in the band playing the songs writing the songs doing the stuff but we were the we were the booking agent we were the graphic designer we were the promoter we were the website designer we were the everything you had to you had to do it all you had to be the video guy you had to be the everything everything you had to do it all no one was going to do it for you
3: Well, you guys were also just out there like connecting with people and that has not changed i mean we were just looking at a text the other day from somebody was sharing something how oh you, you punchline played in in boston a couple years ago and i remember seeing you guys out in the like line before doors open just chatting and saying hi introducing yourselves like that was something that you guys have had from day one you know just how can I connect with this one person and then maybe that one person and then this group of people? And I I think it's also, you know, it clues it into like, why do people want to get on board? Because it was a personal connection and a community building thing, you know? And um, I'm glad that we continue that to this day. Yeah, that's important. Heck yeah.
1: I I wanted to always come down to people liking the music. That's the most important thing. But just behind that would be making that connection with somebody so they will give your music a chance.
0: It's always a lot less scary to go on stage when you've met a bunch of people in the crowd. To me, that always just is. I mean, it's like night and day for me going up on stage, not having talked to anybody versus knowing like, oh, OK, I got a
1: couple people in the crowd here who are paying attention.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Before
1: we wrap up here, have you guys got some reaction and responses to the first episode of the podcast, I can tell you that most of mine have been pretty positive and was up in the air like, why are people going to be interested in this? If they know us, if this is to people that already like our music, yeah, I would expect that they're probably going to like this, but I've gotten some reaction from, from people that didn't really know much about us. They might know, you know, people that might know me because of some podcasts that I, I produce or or host or whatever people that know me from outside of punchline who then i convinced to listen and they still seem to enjoy it and that made me happy
2: yeah i've gotten uh definitely definitely good feedback um some people have like hit me up or i've seen and they've said like it's great uh and people like i wouldn't have expected to like check it out like that fast or something you know and um they definitely say that like it's just, it's super cool that like the production value is really great and stuff. And obviously we're unique. We have you, Chris, who, um, you know, does a ton of podcasts and knows what you're doing. So we definitely have a step, uh, you know, a step ahead in, in that camp. So, but, um, yeah, all, all good feedback and people saying they're, they're just waiting for the next episodes to come out and they can't wait.
3: My, my favorite, uh, quote, I got from our good buddy Sean Quilty, who said it's one of the most well-produced media I've ever listened to. I keep refreshing my phone for the next episode. Wow! And uh, I mean, he's he's been a punchline fan for for a while, but he's you know he's a media guy. He he knows this stuff. Um, so so that it meant a lot coming from him. You know,
1: I do appreciate the kind of words, Corey, but I gotta give some credit to our friend and manager, Jim, who has been on the call with me for some, you know, we were on working on the next one. We, we were on the phone for four hours straight yesterday, Damn. editing the next episode. And we only made it 33 minutes into the episode. And we were like, okay, <laughs> we got to, we got to pick back up on Monday. Um, and, and you guys, Steve sent a lot of notes, you guys give, giving feedback to, this is a group effort. And yeah, I might be the one over here doing the editing and getting frustrated sometimes, but this is a a group effort of pushing each other and the other people involved who were part of the first episode, everyone from Johnny to Robert Stewart uh, to Mike Ofka and anybody that we had on here who contributed. were appreciative of that. One thing that is kind of difficult about this is tracking people down who we want to be part of it and trying to get them to sit down and talk about punchline. <laughs> and it's not always the easiest thing. So we appreciate the people that are a part of this.
0: Shout out to PJ and Paul. They're so good on a podcast. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah,
1: they are. They're a big part of these upcoming episodes, too. And we're going to have to get into the weeds because obviously neither of those guys are in Punchline now. And so there's uh, what I said to a lot of people is, yeah, this first episode was a very necessary like, oh, we're young and fun and dumb and listen to our stupid music and look at our dumb pants and old pictures and stuff. But we're going to have to get into the weeds and the I don't know the more serious stuff and it's sometimes it's hard being in close quarters with other people for months and months and sharing beds and stuff so we're gonna we're gonna tackle all that
2: heck yeah yeah well i think that's something that like um you know the the punchline fans are probably wondering how real is the podcast gonna be and um i think they're gonna be happy to know that yeah the whole story is gonna get gonna get told every little thing.
1: I think the real story is important to tell. And we've, I don't think we've ever really told it before. I mean, people are
2: all,
0: we're all friends. Yeah, that's we're that. all friends. It's yeah, so that's cool. That's the best part. Like yeah. I'm, I'm friends. I'm like great friends with everyone who's ever been in punchline. I feel like, you know, and right. I think that's really cool. And it's taken a lot. It's maybe it's taken a long time for some of those old wounds to heal, but we're all doing great. It's I, I love it.
1: Yeah. It's cool. When you realize At a certain point, you realize like, oh, all that stuff, all the feelings and emotions and whatever was going on in our personal lives that like everyone can look back together. Everyone who's in the band now and everyone who's been a part of this band and look back and be like, wow, it's really cool we did this stuff. And it's really cool that we made this music. And I don't know. I think the Punchline alumni, the sense I get from everyone is like, Everyone's happy that Punchline still exists. I've had people refer to Punchline as an institution to me and I was like, wow, that's a that's a cool way to put it, I think. That's cool. That's right. You know,
0: there's I feel like there's a lot of decisions and things that happened in the course of our band where we made the nice decision that to like protect people in our group and didn't, you know, try to take opportunities that like excluded people. I I don't know. We just never I feel like part of the reason maybe we never made it all the way to the top is because we weren't like cutthroat like that, how maybe some
1: people are or something. I think about that sometimes. We're going to get into that in the future episodes, like those turning point moments where if if a decision would have been made differently or if, I don't know, a stroke of luck, or if we had a better business sense at certain parts, I think that's going to be a recurring theme for me is like, we're all heart and no brains sometimes <laughs> and <Right. laughs> you know i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but it, yeah, but it is a kind of a bad thing like um so yeah i think all in all the feedback has been great so far i feel lucky that we're still a band we have 25 year anniversary coming up if you're listening to this when this episode comes out the 25 year anniversary is on its way we're doing a show in our hometown of pittsburgh uh, on July 8th of 2022, whether you're listening to this before or after that happens, um, that is almost, I think, to the day when we started our band, when we talked about that first ever practice that you can hear about and hear a sound clip from in our uh, first episode of the the podcast. So,
3: yeah. Yeah. We got to so play it. that song. Yeah. We got to play that at the
1: show. <laughs> wake Up. is The song from the clip. Is that the song? Yeah. Is that Wake Up? Yeah. Is that what that was? Yeah. yeah sure all right guys well it's been nice catching up with you guys and uh what a blast we'll do this between every we'll we'll call those like the documentary episodes those are like the real episodes these are the reaction episodes and we'll do these in between each one of them and we'll we'll catch up on the story i know this first one was kind of just setting things up but uh i think we'll have some interesting stuff to talk about uh between the forthcoming episodes wonderful thanks everyone for listening
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks.
1: Love, Yens. Hell,
2: yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening to a band called Punchline. The story of our band, Punchline. You should listen to our music. It's everywhere where you can listen to music. And the coolest place to listen to our music is on Bandcamp, .bandcamp punchline.bandcamp.com. That's where most of our stuff is anyways, and Bandcamp is an awesome way to support the bands you love. One last thing, check out the Punchline music special, streaming now on Amazon Prime the Punchline music special. It took us a long time to make, so you should go watch it.